the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960 if you'd like to uh, join us uh, by phone uh, and weigh in with whatever you would like. I see Mr. David Dahl there. I see Mr. Bill. We have Terry. We've got our full team here. I've had occasion to quote William Buckley on crime lately. Quote, the protection of the individual against the criminal is the first and highest function of government. The failure of government to provide protection is nothing less than the failure of government, close quote. And I've been thinking about this as I've been thinking about crime, thinking about crime. That's the title of a once famous essay and later book by the same name from the great scholar James Q. Wilson, Jim Wilson, author of, among other things, The Broken Window Theory. There, in that uh, essay and book, Wilson, among other things, explicated the idea that crime, particularly violent crime, is mostly the work of young males. About a decade later, the criminologist John DeUlio was writing of the problem of super predators, young men unmoored from moral constraints who saw no reason not to commit violent crimes, who practically socio pathologically saw no difference between committing crime and not committing crime. Both of those men, DeUlio and Wilson, examined all forms of criminal justice reforms that have been tried in the past and proposed, and today perhaps the worst of all reforms has become a full-blown crisis for us. I was reading the stats the other day, and our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., as just one example— Homicides are up 33 percent. Robberies up 67 percent. Motor vehicle theft has jumped 97 percent. You want to swing across the country in Oakland, California, where the city council cannot seem to condemn Hamas because residents there evidently by their testimony believe October 7th was a fictitious invention. Burglaries have increased by 41 percent and robberies by more than 20 percent. We can do this with a lot of major cities that saw crime explode after the defund the police movement and its various implementations. It is important that we think about being certain on crime, it seems to me. Rather than just saying we want to be tough on crime, we must be certain on crime. That is to say, we should stand with Theodore Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt who wrote in his autobiography, quote, I have not a particle of sympathy with the sentimentality, as I deem it, the mawkishness, which overflows with foolish pity for the criminal and cares not at all for the victim of the criminal. I am glad to see wrongdoers punished. This punishment is an absolute necessity from the standpoint of society, and I put the reformation of the criminal second to the welfare of society, close quote. What we are asking is we think of crime as it should be thought of, a violation of our law and a violation against citizenship and our fellow citizen, and that it must carry consequence, both as a matter of justice 
and as a matter of deterrence. And deterrence is a message. Deterrence is a message, a teaching, if you will, of what society will and will not put up with, will and will not tolerate. For too long, among too many, we've clearly communicated a teaching that we will put up with crime, including violent crime. We will define it down. We will ignore it. We will blame it on everyone and everything but the committer of it. Now, before I go further, two quotes. Dennis Prager, if you are walking a quiet street at night and notice three young men walking behind you, are you more or less comforted to learn that they just walked out of a Bible study? Quote two, Michael Novak. A society that venerates moral virtue will have 300 million policemen. A society that denigrates it will never be able to hire enough. So it perhaps comes as no surprise, but something not spoken of very often. The one reform both James Wilson and John DeUlio wrote of, agreed upon, that could work, and it requires no increase in taxes— no increases in expenditure or budget, and may not even require the hiring of more police were it to work at scale. Here's how DeUlio put it, quote, my, this, uh, yeah, my one big idea is borrowed from the three well-known child development experts. I'm going to reform this quote, okay? Let me reform this. My one big idea is borrowed from two well-known child development experts, M- Moses and Jesus Christ. It's called religion. If we are to have a prayer of stopping any significant fraction of the super predators short of the prison gates, then we had better say amen and fast. Why religion? Two reasons. First, a growing body of scientific evidence from a variety of academic disciplines indicates that churches can help cure or curtail many severe socioeconomic ills. For example, one Harvard study showed that among black urban youth, church attendance was a better predictor of who would escape drugs, crime, and poverty than any other single variable, like income or family structure, and that church-going youth were more likely than otherwise comparable youth to behave in socially constructive ways. Second, religion is the one answer offered time and again by the justice system veterans, prisoners, and others I've consulted. With particular reference to black youth crime, for example, it is an answer proffered in recent books by everyone from liberal Cornell West to conservative Glenn Lowry, from Democrat Jesse Jackson to Republican Alan Keyes. Close quote. That was DeUlio. Here's James Wilson. Quote, One can imagine living in a society in which the shared values of the people— reinforced by the operation of religious, educational, and communal organizations concerned with character formation, would produce a citizenry less criminal than ours is now, without diminishing to any significant degree the political liberties we cherish. Indeed, we can do more than imagine it. We can recall it. During the latter half of the 19th century, we managed in this country to keep our crime rate lower than it might have been in the face of extensive urbanization, rapid industrialization, large-scale immigration, and the widening of class differences. We did this by investing heavily in various systems of impulse control through revival movements, temperance societies, 
uplift organizations, and moral education, investments that were based on and gave effect to a widespread view that self-restraint was a fundamental element of character. These efforts were designed to protect and, where necessary, to replace the family by institutionalizing familial virtues in society at large. Close quote. For the problem, as Wilson put it, to quote him again, these efforts, the problem was that these efforts weakened as the moral consensus on which they were based decayed. Self-expression began to rival self-control as a core human value, at first among young, well-educated persons and eventually among persons of every station. Child-rearing methods, school curricula, social fashions, and intellectual tendencies began to exalt rights over duty, spontaneity over loyalty, tolerance over conformity, and authenticity over convention. Close quote. Self-restraint. Yesterday, Lewis Hallman and I were discussing self-actualization. Call it what you will, self-expression, you name it. We're talking about the same thing. And if I, can, if I can tie this to the other discussion I was having with our other guest yesterday, Carrie Lake, we have a problem in our society today with our forces of composition or forces of combination, religion and family being two of the biggest, both in major and massive decline over the past 30 years. And so whenever you read stories— from the Washington Post to the San Francisco Chronicle to CNN about rising crime. Try it for yourself. You'll see story after story of interview after interview of city residents has them saying things like, I'm a little more scared in my neighborhood now, or I'm more afraid to go out than I used to be. Or as one woman told CNN on a story about Oakland, people aren't feeling safe out of their houses. So when you read those stories, it seems to me, people on a massive scale, extrapolated across all our major cities, are living in more fear than they used to. And as I was thinking of this, I was recalling that one of Franklin Roosevelt's famous, perhaps forgotten, but once famous for freedoms, was freedom from fear. Crime causes fear, among other things, but it causes an emotion of fear that at first comes slowly and then happens to swamp us and saturate us quite quickly. And people don't make good decisions and are not good citizens when they operate from fear. I want to say something more about that when we come back. But that's an underappreciated element of crime, too. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 I just wanted to say one more thing about fear and um, the fear that kind of subsumes a community, especially if it's a community that is rife or rifled with crime that has slowly and steadily increased over the last several years. We know a couple of things about how to fight crime. I was adding an element that doesn't get much in the discussion. Certainty of prosecution, uh, a visible uh, and um, a visible and, and supported police force, which is, God please, at full staffing. All of these things, obviously. CompStat did a lot, too. All the, all the right technology 
But it can't do it without the civilizing institutions as well. It can't do it without, as I think, two of the greatest criminal criminologists in our lifetime have written, John Dulio and Jim Wilson. You can't do it without strong auxiliary organizations or institutions, churches, synagogues, families, that help contain impulse, that help put an end to the loss of impulse control, that teach the difference between right and wrong. My old boss, Bill Bennett, was telling me, he saw, called years ago a scene in, um, in a courtroom where the judge was uh, having a colloquy with the young man he was about to sentence over some awfully vile crime. I don't remember what it was. One could use their imagination, I suppose. And the judge said to the um, the convicted uh, criminal, he said, young man, didn't, didn't anyone ever teach you right from wrong? And the young man looked up to him as serious and as soberly as anyone has ever looked up to this judge and said, no, no one ever really did. It's hard when we live amongst a certain community of like-minded friends to understand that that exists out there, but it exists out there. It exists out there. I was thinking of fear. I was, I was thinking about that Rooseveltian notion of it, freedom from fear. Um, and you'll recall that Norman Rockwell drew portraits of these four freedoms, and they were all accompanied by essays in the Saturday Evening Post in 1943 by very famous writers, authors of the time. The one on fear was authored by Stephen Vincent Benet. Many of you may know him from uh, The Devil and Daniel Webster. But Stephen Vincent Benet wrote the Saturday Evening Post essay accompanying Norman Rockwell's painting of Franklin Roosevelt's Freedom from Fear. The painting, if you don't remember it, the portrait, I know young David does. Do you have it, by the way? You, yes, you, it's hanging in my bedroom of you, all places. Do you have all four? You have I all have four, all four yeah. lined up next yeah. to each other. I thought you did. I thought you did. Do you have other Rockwells or just those four? Just those four. Yeah. Um, the painting is a father and a mother tucking their children into bed at night. The father is holding a folded newspaper with stories of the Blitz in London in one hand. And Stephen Vincent Benet writes, quote, What do we mean when we say freedom from fear? It isn't just a formula or a set of words. It's a look in the eyes and a feeling in the heart and a thing to be won against odds. It goes to the roots of life, to a man and a woman and their children and the home they can make and keep. Close quote. Think about that. A feeling in the heart, a thing to be won against odds. That's what forces of composition like strong families and churches and synagogues do. They push up against the odds and stand against those odds. They stand against those winds of temptation and evil. 
and they stop. They put an end. They teach and reverse the uninhibited self, the unrestrained, those without impulse control. They teach impulse control. They stand against the disinhibited self. Norman Rockwell himself put it, that freedom from fear means nothing less than saying, quote, thank God we can put our children to bed with a feeling of security, close quote. Thank God we can put our children to bed with a feeling of security. There have been times in this country when almost everyone in the country could say that. There are vast swaths in our country where they can't today say that. And isn't it sad that in another example of all of our technological advancements and all the accumulated and generated wealth in this country, given our GDP and otherwise, and ability to tap resources, not just financial, but intellectual, and all our ability to tap and access those resources, particularly including the intellectual, with the internet and the microchip and the smartphone, that we now have more places than other ever before where people can't put their children to bed with a feeling of security. I mean, I saw today suicides are now up. Of course suicides are up. Life expectancy is down. Illiteracy is up. Dropouts are up. And in way too many places, crime is up and fear is up. How long can we continue to fool ourselves about what are the things that are missing here? It's not money, and it's not technology, because those lines crossed. As we got more of the one, we got less of the other. But there was a line that went down, too, and that was the lines of family, two lines of family formation and religious service attendance. You can't cast straight the herd and bid the geldings be fruitful. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602508 John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. John, happy uh, happy Wednesday. How are you, sir? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you. I was thinking of you yesterday when I pulled in because um, I was moving some things around in my garage. You know what I uh-huh. now have there for Make, reading? Making anyone? room? Huh? <laughs> making room? Well, I was making... Yeah, I, I have the sign you gave me. Ah. Nobody gets to see the wizard. Not nobody. Uh-huh. No, no. Do you remember right. giving me that a few years ago? I do, yes. yes that now greets them. That Isn't that, yeah, that should, it should be on your door of your office. It, well, it's, 
<laughs> I thought it was more of a safety mechanism to have in my garage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for people coming in through the garage. Well, okay. Yes, Very good. Sir. Yes, sir. Behind me. No, I love that sign. Yeah, it's a fun one. Thank you for it. What's on your mind today? Joe Biden is in Colorado uh-huh. touting, touting Bidenomics yeah. and talking about how he lowered inflation. He lowered mm-hmm. inflation. Now, I, I was just going back here and I was looking at um, when uh, we look at the year 2020, the last year before he was in office, inflation was at about 1.4 percent. Right. Then yeah. went up and up. Went up and quite up. a bit, didn't it? And now it's down to somewhere in the three-ish neighborhood, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, you can't raise four, the we'll temperature yeah. from way above what it is and lower it a mm-hmm. little bit claim victory can you uh no i i don't think you can claim victory at this point i mean obviously it's double even a three percent is yes, double where it was right. uh but uh you know it's probably higher than three percent uh of course the fed's target is between between two and three percent uh and the fed doesn't believe we're there yet and they're still uh holding holding on to the thought that hey if need be if uh we find that inflation does not uh, continue to fall that uh, we still have some rate hikes in 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 the future yeah. uh many believe that's not going to happen but you know we did see another report today too seth yes. that um the third quarter gdp grew at 5.2 percent which okay. is um, higher than expected yes sir uh you know they're expecting 4.9 the reading to be uh and they they found that this uh was because of some government spending which helped boost that that estimate uh, but also they did note that the consumer spending was down. Mm-hmm. It was, there was a downward revision mm-hmm. uh, to 3.6% from 4%. Mm-hmm. So um, we're seeing the consumer is spending less, uh, but some of the spending that created the GDP was because the government is spending money. Mm-hmm. And as we know, uh, that's something that we need to start finding a way for the government to curb some of that spending and redirect that spending into areas that – uh, are what are in the best interest of this country, not uh, this this green energy push that is being uh, you know touted by the Biden administration. Yeah, it seems artificially inflated some of this. I was looking at something Steve Moore, the economist Steve Moore, was saying. I think it was yesterday mm-hmm. about how all those Obama investments into the green energy companies like Solyndra ended up costing more money yeah. because of the bankruptcies they had to go through so and yeah. that the Biden administration is is investing at about 10 times the rate of the Obama administration. Yeah, I mean the spending is just out of control. Now one of the things too we did see and I don't know if you heard this or have uh, seen any of the um comments by some of these head CEOs of these big car companies basically here I'm seeing one I just did a quick search on electric cars, dealers yep. are turning away electric cars. Uh, Mercedes is uh, is basically that. saying that uh, it's it's becoming a brutal space. This is their words from the Mercedes CEO, mm-hmm. Ford CEO, that they have blunt warnings about electric vehicles. Yes. Uh, that it is uh, in this case, Reuters had a report, alarm bells sound on slowing demand for electric vehicles. So they're still pushing this agenda, though. Uh, that uh, they want everyone to to be going electric. And again, we know the grid is not prepared to handle this, and yet uh, they're putting the cart, or I should say the electric vehicle, you know, <laughs> the before the... Cart before the... Yeah. Before What's interesting the, about that, you know, it, must be, it must be a soft or hidden um, uh, negative view of electric vehicles. It, mu- it must be a soft uh, decline... 
of interest in electric vehicles with the prices of gas so high because you would have thought there would have been more demand for them. So you have an interesting paradox. You have higher gas prices and less demand for electric vehicles. That tells you something about how unpopular they must be. Yeah, and, and I think part of this again too is if you you know you look across the world, uh, I think China is probably um, in the top five for uh, electric vehicle sales mm-hmm. in that transition. Yeah, I think Sweden was number one yeah. with eighty eighty percent of their vehicles sold yeah. uh, were electric vehicles. Yeah, uh, but in this country, I think we're about at five or six yeah. percent of the vehicles. We think so of cars differently here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, they you know have the ice versus the EVs, right? The yes, combustible engine, and uh, so it's going to be an interesting uh, you know looking forward here a year, two, three, four, five years from now. Thank you, sir. See where we fall. You bet. Securities and advisory Watch services offer the Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finra Chipkin, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Thank you. Bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Did we have a caller? No. No. There was a caller. Yeah. Were you there taking, was. Uh, was it a personal call? No, they just said they'd call back. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you want me to give a ticket giveaway? Yes, we do need to. Get into the holiday spirit with Pratt Brothers Christmas at Rawhide. From the winners of America's Great Christmas Light Fight on ABC, the Pratt Brothers bring you the biggest Christmas celebration in Arizona, featuring over 6 million lights, a massive gingerbread house light show, nightly Christmas parades, magical train rides, a pro stunt show in the theater, Christmas characters, live entertainment, and so much more. What more could there be? Food, I suppose. We are giving. Huh? I'm sure there's food. Yeah. We are giving away family four packs of general admission tickets for this Sunday, December 3rd, or next Wednesday, December 6th, for the first person to call us next at 602-508-0960. Maybe that last caller will call us right back now that they promised to call back. 602-508960 will give away a family four pack for free for a general admission set of tickets for either Sunday, December 3rd, or Wednesday, December 6th. Sunday will probably be the more crowded, so if uh, you're uh, equally uh, Hello, divided between Sunday or, or, or Wednesday. Hey, oh, you got your mic on. Yeah, okay, good. All right, we have someone who um, we have someone who has called in and looking for those tickets. That's great. I... Um, <clears throat> I I opened the show. <coughs> excuse me. I opened the show with um, some slightly um, religious supporting thoughts on the issue of crime and how uh, isn't it interesting that two scholars, two criminal criminologists, two of the most respected criminologists in our lifetime, probably, one from the Democratic Party and one from the Republican, both came to the same conclusion that with all the other concepts about fighting and reducing crime, that the one inescapable conclusion is that uh, 
more church attendance for our youth, particularly young males, is uh, ineluctably, um, ineluctably shown to help reduce crime, even among other variables. And it put me in mind of the absence of fear and safety generally, and it put me in mind of something Dennis Prager wrote in his column this week. He writes a weekly column. Um, And it's kind of tying the fate of the safety of Jews in America to the strength of the church in America. He writes, since World War II, most American Jews have believed that the more secular American society is, the more secure their status. This has been a colossal error, as I have argued my whole life. Indeed, it may turn out to be a fatal error. With the outburst of unprecedented levels of anti-Semitism, American Jews are living the famous warning, beware what you wish for, you just may get it. The primary reason American Jews have lived in the most Jew-friendly, even Jew-honoring country in history is that most Americans have been Christian. But we must make a key distinction here. American Christians have been not just Christian, as Europe was, but Judeo-Christian. Nearly all the American founders were either traditional Christians, that is to say believers in the Christian Trinity, or believers in God but not in the Christian Trinity. Trinity. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin fall into the latter category. But almost to a man, the founders were Judeophiles. Indeed, Jefferson and Franklin wanted the seal of the new United States to depict the Jews leaving Egypt. In an 1808 letter, John Adams wrote about the Jews, quote, They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a bauble. In comparison to the Jews, they have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. It wasn't just the founders who appreciated the Jews' contribution to the formation of the great concept of Western civilization. Writers like Mark Twain did as well. Dennis writes, the only inscription on the Liberty Bell is from the Hebrew Bible, specifically the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Torah. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Until 1800, he points out, you could not graduate from Harvard without knowing Hebrew. The insignia of Yale University is in Hebrew, depicting the breastplate of the Jewish high, Jewish high priest. Donald Lutz, in a famous study in the American Political Science Review, wrote, after surveying the political literature of the American founding, that the Bible was cited more frequently than any other work or any other author during the time of the founding. The Bible accounted for approximately one-third of the founders' citations. The single most frequently cited work was Deuteronomy, the fifth of the five books of the Torah. The late great Catholic theologian Michael Novak, who I cited in my monologue, wrote that the roots of the doctrine that all men are created equal lie in Judaism carried out throughout the world by Christians. As American society and Americans individually become less religious, that is to say less Christian, the Jews become less secure and less significant. Yet many, perhaps most American Jews, have bought and promulgated the idea that Jewish security in America lies in secularizing, that is to say de-Christianizing America and its folly. 
Prager writes, as noted above, I have warned against this dangerous foolishness all of my life. As I said to John Anderson, the former deputy prime minister of Australia, I say this as a Jew. I don't romanticize Christianity when I say it's death is the death of the West. I'm rooting for Christianity's survival as much as you, the Christian, are. Maybe more, for I may have more to lose. Look around. Look around, we say to our fellow Jews. Are you happy with the results of the secularization of America? Do you feel more secure or less? I ask you, is it not obvious that when more Americans attend church every Sunday, we're all far more secure? And that's related, of course, to my monologue as well. Thank you for saying it, Dennis. Thank you for saying it. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Portions of the show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They offer a secure investment that actually helps people. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. ton of flexibility where you are in control and you can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. There's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. There are absolutely no fees, and you get a monthly statement with no surprises. This is a secure collateralized portfolio. Maybe a better option for you where you have your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24, and make sure to tell them Seth sent you. Um I want to take a quick. Do I have time for a quick call? Bill in Phoenix. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, what's up? Yeah. I, uh, is this Seth? It is. Oh, I just wanted to challenge your uh, idea that uh, Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were deists. I didn't say they, they were. were. No, but you said they didn't believe in the Trinity, and 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 Franklin and uh, Jefferson definitely talked about Jesus Christ. What I did say was that Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, quoting Dennis Prager. I know. Yeah, Prager okay. was wrong. I tried to get in touch with Prager yesterday on the phone, and I couldn't get All through. All right, well, send me whatever you got on this. Send me whatever you got on this. It doesn't well, distract Barton, or take David away Barton from the has, major point, though, that they were supporters of Christianity. Yeah. David Barton has done a, uh, a great deal of research on this, and if you ever wanted to read some of his stuff, it's uh, Wall Builders by David Barton. Yes, I have. On the I know the, I, yeah, I know the work. I know the work. Okay, know, yeah. good. Read it yeah, but feel free, to, okay. feel free to email me anything you want corrected on this. Um, just one piece of evidence on, on, I mean, that I think goes to our mutual point here, and I think it is a mutual point. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson uh, sought to secure federal funds to help spread the Christian message, um, and not only for uh, that of a um, that of a uh, clerk in the uh, 
not only a religious clerk in the um, in the state in the uh, U.S. Capitol, but for the Kaskaskian Indians and others. Um, I haven't looked at the theological beliefs of Thomas Jefferson himself. I have looked at his actions, and the best book on that I have seen is by Robert Cord, Robert L. Cord, C-O-R-D. came out about 1984. That's about the best I've seen. But thank you, Bill. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.